Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm with Kennedy Golden, who is the younger daughter of MFK Fisher, who is a legend, a trailblazer, an author, just this fantastic woman. And I am just so honored to be talking with you today, Kennedy. You are equally as impressive as your mother, and I had the great pleasure of uh, being in your company a few weeks ago when I had the chance to watch the documentary on your mom. Well, it's wonderful to be here speaking with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is going to be fantastic. So let's dive in and uh, also share that you are the trustee of your mother's work. Your mother is this great 20th century food and travel writer. And I've got to ask you first and foremost to describe your life growing up with this trailblazing mother. Well, to me, it was perfectly normal, of course. (laughs) Some people think that it was a little um, crazy is a good word because we were never really in one place for very long and we moved around a lot. She exposed us to a great deal. Um, She really didn't talk about her writing as we were growing up. So I only became familiar with it in my later years. Um, I had absolutely no idea what she did. She just said she wrote and she could write anywhere she was. And so she took us to amazing places and gave us phenomenal experiences. And, and, you know, she was a trailblazer. She was a strong, fierce, um, powerful person who I don't think ever realized that those three words fit her. Hmm. So she was modest. She was. She was very modest. I think that she would be absolutely laughing hysterically about the fact that there's a wonderful documentary premiering in San Francisco about her this weekend. We should mention that you lived in Switzerland and France and, of course, St. Helena and Glen Ellen are just a few of the locations. What do you think she taught you through the years? Now at age 77, I think what she taught me was uh, flexibility. And courage. Um, I think she had incredible courage. I think she had, in she, her life was very complicated. And she, I believe, lived it all with incredible grace. Again, something I didn't realize growing up, but I don't think we pay a lot of attention to our parents when we're in that process. Right. <laughs> you know, she did not teach me to cook anything other than cakes. She taught me how to bake cakes, which I don't do anymore and but I watched her live her 24 hours every day and as I observed her I think I picked up on some of the wonderful ways that she lived her life and all of them were very simple. So did you emulate her over the course of your life? I don't think so I think any of that that may have happened is sort of accidental or maybe genetic I'm not quite sure. 
Okay. Um, I've not been a traveler. I mean, we've traveled, but not the way she did. Um, and I'm not quite sure why she was so much more comfortable away from home, but she was. I mean, I think her greatest comfort, and she's, she said this a number of times, was when she was in France. That's where she felt most at home, and the Napa Valley really replicated that for her. Her time in St. Lena was fabulous. She was so happy there. Do you think that that was because it was a little bit reminiscent of her time in France? I'm pretty sure it was. I mean, she lived in Dijon, which is, you know, when she was there 85 years ago, it was a much more simple life. And I think she loved the simple life that she had in St. Helena. Mm -hmm. She loved being surrounded by vineyards. She loved being surrounded by some very smart people who lived in the valley. It was just a beautiful place for her to be. And and it reminded her, I believe, of her a hillside home when she lived in Switzerland with her second husband. During your life, your mother was surrounded by a lot of famous culinary folks. Do you think there was any one of those folks who influenced her life or somebody else that might have influenced her life that you could speak to? I think everyone added to her life. I'm not mm -hmm. sure how they influenced her life. Okay. Um, she had some amazing friends, you know, when we were first in San Lena and, and then when we came back and she was working on the Napa Valley Wine Library, um, the people that she knew at that point were the, the movers and shakers in the wine industry in the Napa Valley. And as she branched out and her writing grew and she became more known and the, quote, famous people, the, you know, the James Beards, not the Jim Beard of St. Lena, but the big James Beard, as she right. called him, and the Maya Angelou's and so forth. I think that she loved having this richness of very smart and funny people in her life. How they influenced her, I'm not sure, because I think she was a pretty well-formed person at that point. I think she just enjoyed being with smart people. Do you think during the course of her career, she had a mentor? You know who I think was her mentor was Colette, who she never met, but she was highly influenced and passionate about the writings of Colette. Mm. And I think that she was fascinated by Colette's life, which was very interesting. And she, she wanted to, she just wanted to be a good writer. That's what she wanted to do. And I don't know that she ever thought she was, which is a shame. Oh, wow. How many books did she write? I lost count after a while. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> to tell because some have been put together and so forth. There's, It's about 30. Okay. What are some of your favorites? Well, I love The Art of Eating mm -hmm. because it's the first five books put together. And that begins her story. Almost all of her writing is autobiographical. Um, sometimes you have to look for it. Sometimes it's very clear and stated. Um, in later life... I was very, very fond, I am very fond of, with Bold Knife and Fork, because it's a very s simply laid out book about how she enjoyed food. And that, to me, was fascinating when I was becoming an adult. Boss Dog is fun because it was written about a, a dog that we knew in a cafe in X, and I just have good memories of that, and it's a 
it's a lovely quick read for people. And A Cordial Water was her, she claimed it was her favorite. Hmm. It's a little teeny book of stories about old health cures and so forth, but all through experience that either she or other people have had. And it's a, it's a sweet book. And then, you know, many more, the books of letters and the books of pieces of hers that were put together even after she died, I think are very powerful. Her, some of her journals are, are eye opening and very relevant to what's going on in the world today, in my opinion. You first mentioned The Art of Eating, which actually has been in print for over 60 years. Yes, it has since 1954. Which is uh, amazing and says a it lot of, about her as an individual and the popularity of, of that book. That's fantastic. Well, yes, and a, a 50th anniversary edition was published in 2004 that is available in paperback. So although it's, it's thick... Um, being five books, it's also not horribly expensive, and it's still in print, which is just fabulous. Yes, I love it. You implied that your mother was perhaps never satisfied or never thought she was a great writer. That being said, what do you think was her top moment of, of her career? Well, I think there were there were moments like when she received the James Beard Lifetime Award. That was an acknowledgement that she had done something that other people valued. And I think that was her goal. As a writer, you don't get acknowledged all that often. You know, you publish a book and you work like the Dickens to publish, to get the book written and then to get it finished and then to get it published. And then it's published and you just sort of sit and wait and hope that people will like it. Right. Um, and I, I, in some ways, that's sort of what she had explained to me. So it's not like doing a theatrical production where you have an opening night and, and, you know, there's a celebration. There really were not celebrations around the publication of her books, even in later life. So I think the, the highlights for her were not necessarily professional, although they were the people who came to her as a result of her writing. So when Julia Child and she became good friends, I think that that was a, a big highlight. I think when Maya Angelou was, was living in the Sonoma Valley, when my mother was then in the Sonoma Valley, those people were more of a highlight to her than any of her books. She took great pride in her books, but I don't know that any of them was the most important. Perhaps that's not correct, because I think when she did the translation of Biasavran's uh, Physiology of Taste, she was incredibly proud of herself that she had done it and that it was well received. But as she would say, that's not her work. Hmm. That was just her translation. So she, she minimized that, but I do recall her saying that that was a huge accomplishment. Other than the books, which we've said are a lot about her, what are other ways that people can get to know MFK Fisher. We've talked about the documentary. And how, how did that come about? We should probably speak to that. But there, there's also The Last House. Right. There, there are any number of ways. She has a website, which would crack her up. Right. Um, her grandson, my child, maintains her website, which had been maintained for years by uh, Les Dames d'Escoffier. And then they were unable to do it. So they approached the trust and said, 
we don't want this just to go away. And my son does social media, so he said, I'd be glad to maintain it. So mfkfisher.com has all kinds of information about her books, her life, links to different places, articles that have been written about her. Mm -hmm. And then Gregory Bazat approached her literary agent in New York and said, I really would like to make a documentary about her. And the agent and I spent a lot of time thinking about it and talking to talking to Greg and listening to what he actually wanted to do because her life is incredibly complex, as he discovered. And we decided that we liked his vision. We liked what he was thinking. He had met her when he was brought up to St. Helena to do an interview with my mother for uh, Jerry DeVecchio and Sunset Magazine way back. And he as he says, he fell in love with her, and which is easy to do through her writing. And so we decided, yep, if somebody's going to do it, this gentleman's probably going to do a good job. And he has. He's done an absolutely beautiful job. Oh, it's a fantastic documentary. It is. It, it's quite wonderful. It's, it's told through her voice, which I think is extraordinary. Um, he has so many pieces of her speaking and reading and then he has a fabulous voiceover artist, Mary Diltz, who uh, reads passages of letters and, and pieces of books. And the images in the film are just amazing. And then there's Last House. Last House, when she left St. Helena, she got to a point where a two-story Victorian was just too much for her. And normally she lived either in the attic or in the basement. So you know, it was a, and, and everybody came to stay with her. It was like, almost like a bed and breakfast <laughs> and she wasn't getting any work done. And the two of us had left the nest and were not coming back. But David Bouvery has a large piece of land in the Sonoma Valley. And he said, I'll build a house for you. He was a British architect. And so they designed a house um, in Glen Ellen uh, outside the cattle guard on, on the, this large piece of land. And she lived there for the last 20 years of her life very happily. It, was a, it's a, it is a single-story house. It has two steps. That was a mistake. And um, that house is now, for 25 years after her death, uh, one of the, the people who worked for the Audubon Canyon Ranch, who, who own the land now and run it as a nature preserve, they had a staff member living in the house. And then... About seven years ago, they said, wait a minute, maybe we ought to do something different with this house. And now it is um, available for tours. There are regular tours scheduled through the Audubon Society, which is, or Audubon Canyon Ranch, which is at egret.org because they're famously studying egrets, uh, not on that property. And um, there, it's a wonderful place for gathering people, um, for nature education. They use it for, you know, docent training and so forth. It's, it's a fabulous house. It's unlike any other place in the world. And did they preserve it? It's not a museum. Okay. It is filled with many of her possessions because um, I put a request out to family when they decided that they would like to do this. And a number, many, many, many people returned items. So it's full of her artwork and many of her possessions, but it is a working space. It's not like it was preserved as she had it when she lived there. 
many aspects of it are. are. And, and one of the main ones being her bathroom, which is a beautiful Chinese red room with one whole wall that's covered with art that she was passionate about. Um, her second husband was a painter, and she used to rotate art throughout the house. And so there, there are a number of pieces of her preferred art on the walls, books in the many, many bookcases she had between five and 6,000 books in the house. Oh, my goodness. And those are, you know, most of those books are not there anymore. But there are, they're, they're putting, they're bringing in more books all the time. Okay, so you can you can feel the essence of MFK for sure there. She is absolutely there. There isn't to me. There's no question at all. Right. Right outside her kitchen window is a beautiful California oak, and that has been there, you know, since she built the house. They built the house with it there, and uh, she used to love to stand in at the kitchen window and look at this glorious tree, and that tree most likely protected the house in the fires that hit both valleys mm-hmm. because the fire came, as I understand it, over the mountain from the Napa Valley and went through that 500 acres three times. And it burnt down all but her house and the original house owned by David Bouvery. They lost every other building that they had on the land. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm on the website right now on the remembering page, and I there's mm-hmm. a picture of the kitchen, so you can kind of see a little bit of that oak right outside that mm-hmm. kitchen window. Well, it's bigger now. It's <laughs> a huge tree, and they've done a beautiful job of making that space usable. It really wasn't usable when she lived there. She just looked out. Right. Um, but earlier this year, there was a luncheon with Alice Waters, and the guests gathered out under the oak, and it was beautiful. And then we went into the main room to have lunch. Um, Alice was another another one of her many friends who happened to also be in food. I read somewhere that there's an MFK Fisher writing contest that is related to the Glen Ellen house in some way. It is. Audubon Canyon Ranch, who owns the property and maintains Last House, Um, has a a Last House coordinator. And during COVID, when we couldn't hold any events at the house or anywhere else, Susie Allen, who's the coordinator, and Clark Wolf, they put together this writing contest. And the first year, you know, was was, it was the first year, but we got some fabulous entries. And and I believe it was a 10-year-old boy who won the contest with a poem. Um, and then last year was, I think, the fourth annual writing contest. It happens every spring, summer, um, sort of directed around when schools are out, hoping to get many writing pieces from a vari- across the, the spectrum of age and location. There were many international entries this year, and they try to pick a theme every year that is related somehow to something that my mother was passionate about so oh my gosh yeah which is which is fun right well your your mother's writing was just so sensual in my opinion that's the word that comes to mind it's a good word it's a good word (laughs) it's just so unique (laughs) for food writing but really makes you you know fall in love with food and 
food and people. I mean, I think yes. her whole thing was food is a vehicle to gather around which to gather people. And that I think is sort of the essence of her life was pulling together interesting people and over food, over good food, good, simple food. She was very, very simple cook. She was not a chef. As there's a there's a piece in the film that says, right. you know, I know how to make the sauces, but I don't I don't need to go to class to do that. Right. And what she wanted to do was make a simple salad, some sorbet, and be done, and and then spend hours sitting at the table. I mean, we our whole family has a, a propensity to sit and talk for hours when we're together with good people, and I think that that may be the legacy that she left for each of us. And I think it's more celebrated and is happening more in today's world than it did when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s. In regards to her culinary skills, as long as you have great ingredients, it can be simple and be fantastic. Right. So. And you can imagine in, in St. Helena in 1957, you didn't have great ingredients. You know, we had one small grocery store. Right. Maybe No, we had two grocery stores on Main Street, but they were small. And, you know, you didn't have the variety of foods that you have available now. But that didn't slow her down at all. She was never a gardener, but she always knew people who had nice gardens. She would wait for the fish truck to come through on Thursday and ring its bell outside the house. And she'd trot out and get whatever fresh fish she wanted to get for a couple of days. But she was, she's, it was always a very simple cook, simple, but good. So do you think her parents influenced her? Well, I certainly think her, her mother read a lot. I didn't know her mother much at all. She was gone by the time I was three. Right. I have vague recollections. Her, her father was a newspaper editor, oh, a newspaper right. owner in, in Whittier. And so she started writing for him. He gave her her first job. He did. I'm not sure he paid her, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, that's sort of what happens sometimes. Right. Um, but, you know, she said she had to make the deadline and she had to figure out what to do. I think it gave her a structure mm -hmm. for her writing that, you know, she had a she had a responsibility. It wasn't just writing for fun. So, you know, I think that that was a, a huge growth piece for her in terms of writing professionally. Certainly when she was writing for magazines. It had to have helped that, you know, she had had that structure. Right, right. Meeting a deadline. Yeah, she always said she was very sad that she never thought her parents read anything she wrote mm -hmm. because she would publish something and she would give, them, give it to them and they would never say anything about it, which I think was sort of the relationship that they all had. And sadly, I did exactly the same thing. It's one of those generational things where she would give us a book when it was published and I'd go, Ooh, ooh, how exciting. And then I just put it on the shelf. Oh. Uh, my sister read much more of her. And my sister says, even to this day, and she just turned 80, she said every night before she goes to bed, she takes one of my mom's books, just opens it up and reads something. Oh, that's nice. It's all so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I have to agree with her. It is so beautiful. It is just amazing beautiful writing. I don't think there's anyone that writes like her. I haven't found anyone who writes like her. I found, you know, close, close pieces. And I can't actually tell you who those were at the moment. But 
Uh, no, her, her writing style is to me evocative. Mm -hmm. It takes you on a journey. It pulls you into whatever experience she's writing about. And I always find that to be, you know, pretty thrilling. Yes. I mean, it's really one of a kind. Um, I believe so. I, I think and, so. And it's timeless. It is very much. You know, she might have been writing about being a newlywed in Dijon in with uh, The Gastronomical Me, which is a book that people often like to begin with because it really was at the beginning. That, we, that was where she was finding herself and growing and away from home and you know it's it's a it's an amazing journey of a young young woman and it doesn't matter if I'm reading about 1929 or if I'm reading about something she did when she was in San Helena or something that was going on in the in the Sonoma Valley it's it's current it's it's enjoyable it takes me on a little journey every time yeah it allows you to escape mm-hmm I want to ask about the MFK restaurant, because I find that to be another interesting um, component of her and kind of this empire mm -hmm. she has. The owners of MFK in Chicago, which has now been in business for a number of years, when Last House was first opened, uh, Shauna Davis from the Napa, from the Sonoma Valley created an event called First Meal Last House, and it was attended by about a hundred people in the house. And they had different chefs preparing. They didn't prepare them on site because there wasn't any way to do that. But they they brought food, and two three of the people that came were from the MFK restaurant in Chicago. So I've gotten to know the owners and and one of another one of their of their wonderful people and they are do, do not cook necessarily the way my mother cooked although many of their dishes she would absolutely die for it's a small restaurant in in chicago mm -hmm. but they make wonderful food a lot of fish spanish i believe portuguese and i could be slightly wrong uh, influence, um, amazing. I have never been there. I wish I could get there, but I haven't done that yet. And then there are two restaurants named MFK restaurants up in Seattle. And those have just joined the website. Have just We've just gotten them onto the website. It's so wonderful to have people honoring her and her legacy as fresh food, gather around, have some good food, have some good conversation. And I think those are their goals, is human enjoyment of other people over good food. What more can you want? Exactly. <laughs> How do you hope she is remembered? I hope she's remembered as an amazing woman who lived a fabulous, complicated life and who wrote unbelievably beautiful words about her life, the world, food, people, travel places i just want people to read her words because they're fabulous and they're i think they're fabulous for anyone needless to say the world she grew up in and the world she lived in because she passed away in 1992 we're missing many of the fabulous elements of 2023 but uh her her life was exciting and challenging I think anybody can find themselves somewhere in her in her experience and and learn from it. 
Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. All right, Kennedy, we're moving on to your personal life. You actually live in Sacramento now. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's your decorating style? Uh, eclectic. My husband and I are both book people. Oh my goodness, and yes. So, yes, so we, <laughs> I can't imagine where that came from. And so we have very different libraries, but we have a lot of books. Uh, we have a lot of art. We, I have quite a few of the pieces from my mother's house. In fact, a number of the pieces of my mother's art that, that are in Last House are photo representatives. And you can't even tell unless you look very carefully. So I have a number of the original pieces, which I cherish. We have a great kitchen. It's small, but it's, it's usable. It's my home. It's it's not a show place. I it's not decorated in any style. It's just the place that I live in, surrounded by the pieces that I'm that I want to have on the on the walls and in the bookcases. And what's the predominant color in your home? Probably sort of an ochre, ochre yellow and green. And I think that came primarily from the Saint Helena house because the Saint Helena kitchen was green, it was a wonderful green. It still is a wonderful green. When I visited it. This year, um, the kitchen is completely modern compared to what we had in, in, the, in the 50s. But it, it's just reminiscent of the space that we were in. It has a big table in the middle of the kitchen. Our kitchen isn't really big enough to have a table. We have a table at the end. Um, and our dining room, or what used to be a dining room, is now sort of the MFK Fisher Library and so forth. Because as trustee, I have to have multiple copies of books and so forth. So it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of my mother in my house, and I love that. It's nice to have those memories being it is. surrounded by those. How do you spend your free time? Do you have free time? Do you have a hobby? <laughs> <laughs> do you collect anything <laughs> other than books? <laughs> I have no free time at the moment because of the premiere of the movie and the fact that it's going to be shown all over the place, Berkeley, all, uh, Berkeley, Alameda, Oakland, Sebastopol, Sonoma, St. Helena. I mean, it's going everywhere in the next two months. And so I'm really working closely with Greg Vazat and Gary Meyer, who's a producer, to make sure that things are happening well and that as many people as possible can see it. This is a fundraising tour because they are needing to pay for, you know, professional photography images that make the film. And, you know, it's horribly expensive. So that's my hobby right now. I really don't have much of a life other than that, other than, you know, I have a fabulous husband so who supports my doing all of this. Um, I, I've had various various things that I've done. What, I, what I'm enjoying now is going to the farmer's market on Saturday and picking up fresh vegetables. Again, this is something from my mother. We always did that when we could. And, of course, there weren't farmer's markets everywhere at that point. But I, I'm thinking in Europe, when we were living in, in southern France, we would we would get a ride into town or we'd walk into town a couple of kilometers. And then we'd get a ride home because we were laden with string bags of fresh tomatoes and, you know, all the fabulous produce that, that actually is now available in California and in many places around the world. So just figuring out what to do with what's available is sort of my pastime. That's a fun pastime. 
for sure. It's a fabulous pastime. Yeah. And we should mention that the Art of Eating, the documentary, there is a tab on your MFK Fisher website that talks about upcoming screenings. So people can find out where they can watch the documentary on your website. Really what we're doing now, what we're trying to do is direct people either to the film website, which is mfkfisherfilm.com, or to, I've started, uh, Gary Meyer has a newsletter called Eat Drink Films. And if you just go to eatdrinkfilms.com, A, there's a wonderful review of, of the film, but there's also the most current information about where bookings are happening. That's the best place to find it right now. So there's a variety of options people have to right. to find out where they can watch the documentary. And I, I would encourage people to get out and watch it because I think that they have just done a phenomenal job of telling a very complicated story in a beautiful way. And I, I hope that this round of screenings will allow them to move on to distribution and that, that the film will become available to people, you know, in different places. It's actually going to a film festival in Mexico, Alaska, and New York. Well, it's been in to, the next month. It's been to several film festivals already. Palm Springs, right. the Mill Valley. I mean, it's got a nice. It's been around. Yeah. Nova Scotia, yeah. Italy. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, lots of places I haven't gone to, but <laughs> I do try and go as often as I can when it's shown around here, just because I I think I have a little bit different piece to add if there's sure. a conversation afterwards. So we're talking about farmers markets. What's your secret for a great dinner party? Simplicity. Okay. Having it all ready to go before your guests get there so okay. you can spend your time with your guests my mother was adamant about that she did have a dining room table most often in her kitchen and so people were in her kitchen while she was you know serving dinner but she did not cook in front of people so do you have a go-to dish that's always a crowd pleaser oh i i often make a vegetable lasagna using uh grilled eggplant slices instead of noodles okay there you go. That's my, one of my very favorite things to do, and they're always leftovers, and it gets better every day. Perfect. And and with California's fresh vegetables, I mean, I live in the middle of the Central Valley, so with the fresh vegetables that are available to me, it can contain almost anything that you can find. Is there something people might be surprised to learn about you that you haven't already shared? <laughs> well, I think... I'm I'm kind of fascinated at this age where I'm now retired that I had I've had two full careers one in theater um, instead as a stage manager and working backstage and building scenery teaching young women how to build scenery and one um, then I had a few years uh, working with elders as a therapy therapist in training MFC therapist in training and um, now as a retiree I'm sort of working half to full time to on my mother's legacy who would have thought who you know very thought? rich yes three very different rich. careers I used to say that my work when I was working with college students was just a different kind of theater and I sort of believe that every day is just a different kind of theater hmm. <laughs> that might be true <laughs> that might mm -hmm. be true in a good way I mean I'm not saying in a bad way right um 
you know, you never know what the next minute is going to provide for you to work with. And, and that's certainly something that I learned from my mother is, you know, live in the moment. Carpe diem. She was absolutely adamant about that. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Seize the day. Seize the day. That's right. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap things up now with five quick questions. You ready? Uh-oh. No, probably not. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll try to make it painless. I'll keep it short. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Who is a dream dinner guest, living or dead? Jacques Pepin. I love Jacques. What's your favorite holiday? Christmas, because we get everybody together. What's one word that best describes you? Grounded. What's your favorite city? The city that you can go back to again and again and never be bored. I think probably Aix-en-Provence. And last question, what is your favorite flower? Oh, that's a tough one. Lily of the Valley. There you go. Kennedy, it has been a great honor and pleasure to speak with you today. It's been a great pleasure, and I've really enjoyed myself. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.